Yeah, you know, and I think that the reason the reason in in my opinion that this works so well for for beginning like like students like my students in their improvisation is because really their background is more of cl a classical approach. And so these games really help them get over the some of the initial barriers with improvisation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we are here Masters of the Museverse today. I'm very excited for this conversation with uh, Jeffrey Agrell from the University of Iowa School of Music. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Um, we're going to be talking about your book, uh, Improvisation Games for Classical Musicians, um, but then also just kind of some general things with improvisation. So I, I wanted to tell you, I found this book when I was browsing at our state music convention. I was just looking around and I saw that title, Improvisation for Classical Musicians. And even though I do, I, I've been playing jazz a long time, I was like, I consider myself more of a classical musician. And I opened it up and I saw games and I'm like, oh, games. I love the idea of games because kids are like, you. if you paint something as a game, kids kids are into it. And probably even adults. It was that a was that a mindset for you to like call it games instead of like exercises or? Uh, yes, you're very perceptive. I I had to make a decision uh, early on to forfeit all academic respectability by calling it games rather than <laughs> drills or exercises, which they would have you know the academia would have said they would have approved of that. Uh, but I said you know the hell with that. I'm going to call it something that is fun. I got reprimanded in a doctoral defense once, not mine, but when I was on the committee, because I, I used the F word fun. Uh, and somebody <laughs> said, no, you can't say fun. You can have to say motivating or engaging or sorry, I'm old. I get to be sarcastic sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 the thing is, that if it's something is fun, uh, you want to do more of it. And if you do more of it, you're going to get better at it. So uh, rather than the classical model, which is where you, you endure something over and over because it's good for you. Uh, the, you know, all the scales and drills that we all grew up on um, and somehow survived to keep playing eventually. Um, uh, there's no, there's nothing really inherently interesting about that. And that's what this is, is trying to turn those drills into everything else into something you want to do, something you can do with friends, you can do at any level uh, and enjoy the process. Like when I went through your book, I wrote like jazz band, um, concert band, fifth grade band. I, I wrote, I wrote in like all the, uh, how I'm going to use all these games. So everybody use these games everywhere, not just for jazz, but I, but I want this conversation to be a little bit more geared towards jazz. Um, and so I'm, I'm just going to talk about these games. And if you feel like you want to just chime in like a variation or something that you think works better, um, let me know. Um, everyone, there's 500 game plus games in the book. I'm not going through 500 games right now. <laughs> I don't want to give away, um, all of, all of Jeffrey's secrets. So, um, buy the book, um, in volume two, there's 642 more. So, all right. I've got my first note is buy volume <laughs> two. So, um, Okay, so the most one of the most basic things you can do is call and response. I think this is a great. Um, in fact, kind of going back to what you said, I in my jazz band rehearsals have got shied away from um, written warm ups for the most part. We we do things like call and response when we first start. I play something, they play something, and then once they get comfortable, you play something, you know, and then you play something and we play it. And um, call and response is a great improvisation for students. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I, I do that with my students. I do that in the class. Uh, and there's many different variations on that. The two most basic ones, uh, the most basic one is you play something for four beats and then they immediately play, play it back. This doesn't work very well on Zoom because of the lag, but, uh, you know, pretty soon we're all going to be vaccinated to be, be able to be in the same time zone pretty soon. Uh, so in uh, what I do is I start out with like, you know, uh, jazz players will have a better oral sense than our classical players, but I just start out with C major, the only notes uh, we're going to do. And we start off with four, uh, four C's, bomb, 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 and then they play it. And then each time you probably do the same thing. You just change one little part of that, make it just a little harder or a little more challenging. Uh, change one note, change one rhythm. And you, you listen uh, as, the, as the caller, you listen and you say, uh, are they getting it? Because you want them to get it. You want them to get everyone. You want just to change it just a little bit. Now, of course, in a, in a bigger group, they're not all going to be equal. But you're going to try to just make it a little bit, little bit more challenging each time. And what's amazing, especially if you keep doing this, is boy, does that train their ear. And what the and not just train their ear, there's one fundamental flaw in oral training in, in music schools, and that's that people only get it on piano and voice. Nothing wrong with that, but we need to have the oral training on the instrument, not just on those two that are not our instrument. So now they're getting oral training on the instrument. Find what you hear, decode what you hear, know what those notes are, transcribe those in your head right away and then translate that into, into your instrument. And we start very easy. Uh, if they don't, if the majority doesn't get it, then that's, that's on you, the caller, you need to make smaller steps in between that. But if you keep doing it, now you can, you can man, you can really improve their, their hearing, plus their integration of that, what they hear onto the instrument. You start in C and you just do it very simple, rhythm, simple, everything. And you can see with the group, you can get you can really get a long way even in one session with with rhythms and range you start expanding the range on that uh and then that's one key you've got 11 more major keys to do and then you can of course do that in uh, dominant seventh you can do it on dorian mode you can do it on anything um and and so you can it's really amazing and it's kind of fun and since it's in a group they're not they don't feel singled out they don't have to be embarrassed well i missed that one uh, and if you hear they're missing, you know, too many are missing something, you just do it again and you simplify it or you repeat it a couple of times. And if they, they still can't get it, then that's information for you to simplify a little bit and see what they can get. So it's a real, uh, it's really a fun way of process. And that is, that's one way to do it. And there's other variations. The other thing that you could do, I'm not sure how this works. This might, this is more advanced for individuals is where you play a beginning of a phrase and they finish it. Uh, and that's, you know, and you just tell them whatever you do, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to say that was the wrong phrase you just did. And you go, bum, bum, and then what are they going to do? Well, bum, something. Uh, yeah. And but now they're now they're they're inventing something that is not the same as what you did. But if they've done some of the other one, they will have advanced far enough. And especially if they're jazz players, they're used to uh, dealing with the rhythms and making stuff up. Uh, it will it will be not that big a stretch, but you keep it short, you keep it fairly simple, and then you expand it as you uh, get feedback from what they do. Yeah, I like that one. Um, another one that I think is really good. I'll I I'll use this. Like if I know that we're going to be doing um, improvisation and F blues, 
my my warm-ups i use the uh, warm-up long tones exercise where i i i'm teaching them the scale i play a note they find it i play the next note they find it um and and when when we do that and then we approach the improvisation they've already got the scale and they don't even know it so i think that's a really great way to warm up and and if you so if you can plan ahead i know i'm going to need these scales use this like play a note they've got no music in front of them they have to find the notes and and so and then it does so much for their ears too yeah and you can do that with both scales and arpeggios uh i like arpeggios because they have fewer notes and they're all the good notes <laughs> um and you know because what are scales scales are just the good notes mixed with a bunch of wrong notes in there so to speak um so you can teach them especially uh, instruments like horn for instance or you know most instruments that are not keyboard or guitar they can only play one note at a time so they're they they have a little less um knowledge of chords and what they're supposed to sound like and how to find them but you can make up arpeggio games or chordal games and you can say all right everybody pick a, a chord uh, one of the notes of this chord, and you can say, well, we're going to do dominant sevens or, or minor ninths or something. And it's always going to sound good because it's all part of the, even the extended uh, extended chords are still going to sound nice. It's going to sound jazzy. Uh, one thing I do with my, my classical people, I say, okay, uh, and this is, the if I want to boil everything down to the biggest theme of all of what we're trying to do here is take uh, everything you do, all the usual elements of music, and try to make it musical in some way, uh, rather than the old, sterile, drill, boring things they do. So what we do there is we say, okay, I'm gonna give you four kinds of arpeggios, uh, and I want you to create a fanfare, because a, a fanfare is music. It's a, it's a, it's simple, it's you know usually the usual trumpet thing, but uh, anybody can just go up and down a, an arpeggio and create, create a fanfare. So the first one is major. If you did in a jazz band, you could do major seven, major nine, major six, nine, if you wanted to start with the major. And you just, you know, and or triplet uh, uh, or either triplet or uh, duple. And then the next one, you add one more different note, and that'd be the dominant seventh or dominant ninth. You can do that. You can keep extending these if you want. I call that, okay, the first one is just plain vanilla. The second one, let's call it a jazzy thing. You can also say, do the, do the uh, let's make the dominant seventh uh, fanfare a swing. Uh, let's do it in swing eighths, okay? And then we go, okay, let's have a sad fanfare. Now we're gonna do it in minor. In the jazz band, you could do that. Uh, in minor seven, minor nine, or even, uh, you know, major minor seven. Uh, and then the last one, we say the uh, the weird uh, fanfare, which we do full diminished. Uh, everybody needs a little bit more practice on their full diminished four note arpeggios. Uh, that's what I do that with the classical. So they get to a feeling of that too, but you could do this uh, with jazz players. You could also add it augmented if you want. Um, that's that's uh, another basic chord form. Uh, but anyway, you can, uh, and that's just our, our fanfares is just one way that you can make it musical. Um, but there's, uh, there's lots of, lots of possibilities. Yep. This next one is so helpful for give, giving kids, um, like over that real initial hump of like, when you say you can play anything, that's, that's kind of like freaky then like I, it should be freeing, but it's not, you can play anything, anything goes. And so I think giving kids what's in a name 
the exercise where the, or the game where they create a solo based on their name. And boy, this has been a gold mine for, for me because it gives them a limitation. Um, and it also gives them a uniqueness for each kid. And we start with just one note. So my name is Scott Lewis Cumro. So I, I might play Scott Lewis Cumro, and that's my rhythm. So we start with one note and everyone plays their name. And then, um, you know, maybe the next time we'll start adding different scale tones or arpeggiations to that. So now they're, now they're being a little bit more creative because they're making a note choice. So what's in a name is a great one for like when those, when kids freeze up because there's too many choices. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and every one of the purposes, one of the points of even having these games is to put a little, put a border, put a framework around something because uh, too many choices uh, will freeze you up and you say, I don't, I have no idea what to play. It's like, uh, if I said, give me any word and you, um, I do this with audience because sometimes we use the audiences to give us suggestions to play. But if I say, give me a, give me a name of a vegetable, easy. I can get names all day long that way. So every, every uh, limitations are, are the uh, improvisers or the composer's best friend. Stravinsky said uh, if he had any note in the world to write with, he couldn't do anything. Give him five notes, limited to five notes, he could write a symphony, easy. So the games are just limitations. And uh, we should also say that any of the games can be changed, uh, add more limitations. You can, you can change any of them if you are using the book uh, these should be considered just the beginning. They're not the end. You don't have to do exactly what's there. You can change any of these. Uh, I add many variations in many of these the things that occurred to me. Do it again, but now do it with this. Do it again. Try that. Um, and so, so the uh, a restriction is the best way to to make it easy to play. Like uh, that, and just what you said, we're restricting it at the beginning to one note. It's easier to make choices if you don't if you don't have to think about other notes um and uh, and then go to two and then go to three as they get more used to making their own decisions on that especially classical players uh as the saying goes if you want to see your <clears throat> students iq go up have them make choices decisions um and then another game that i i love to do um that is closely related is morse code so you take any word and translate it into morse code i've done that um where i've I put the Morse code up on the board and had them pick their initials out of their name. Um, and so there's a little bit more variety there. And what's, what's really good and fun with this one is don't give them any more information than that. Like don't tell them, okay, so the dots an eighth note or it's a staccato, just say, take this word Morse code. And it is awesome what a group of students will come up with and the variety of things they'll come up with. I think, uh, exactly. I think in general, <clears throat> the most wonderful thing about all of this is when we finally give students a voice and turn them loose, it's unbelievable what comes out. There is so much music in everybody at every level that the traditional music education has done nothing with. Uh, it. I won't say that it, it's uh, exactly actively discouraged it, but it certainly hasn't done what we've all been brought up on, hasn't, said, hasn't taught us to do anything creative. We are really good at recreative. But um, we play 10,000 melodies, but nobody ever, ever asked me in school to make my own melody. Um, <clears throat> and so you, you grow up with a feeling, well, I couldn't do anything any good. I'm not Beethoven. 
uh, it would be, I would be, you know, why should I even try, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what we're doing here is we're just saying, yeah, try something, see what happens. And unbelievable what they, what they come up with. I am just continually after, even after 20 years of doing this, I'm continually amazed and delighted at, at what they come up with. Uh, you know, and this is with the preparation is ongoing, like speech or life itself. Uh, there's no like long detailed preparation for one thing like we do for recitals and everything else. Um, but the the result is truly amazing. The, re the reason, in, in my opinion, that this works so well for for beginning like like students like my students in their improvisation is because really their background is more of cl a classical approach and so these games really help them get over the some of the initial barriers with improvisation mm -hmm. absolutely yeah so um i'd like there's just a when i read a book i and there's a quote that strikes me i write it in the front cover because that's like i can look at it and be like oh yeah that's the quote i wanted so there's two quotes in this book that I just I want to mention real quick because they, they struck me. Um, and you're talking about the course that you developed or, or, or maybe you even say still developing on improvisation because because of this, I say that you say the course varies a bit every year as I learn from previous classes and try out new ideas and approaches. And my note right next to that one is how much more improvisatory can you get than that? Even your <laughs> Even your approach to your class is like, improvisatory I feel in nature and the one of the, the other quotes I think that this one I might even frame because I think it's such a great quote and it says vision is a bully among the senses and needs to be shut down sometimes to let the others blossom and you even have an exercise that you recommend and I and I use I, I uh, almost every single uh, Friday I use your your exercise dark music because um, and so this is um, you know, like where you turn all the lights off and, and, and you play um, either in the dark or, you know, like they, kids don't always have things memorized because I, I don't just do improvisatory stuff. It's their music. But even just turning the lights off and, and focus that is gained and ears are sharpened. So I love that quote. I'm going to say it again. Vision is a bully among the senses and needs to be shut down sometimes to let the others blossom. Uh, absolutely. And that's one of my many rants is my <clears throat> is the entire way that the music traditional music education is built around is built around notation. And the trouble is we start with the symbol before we have done anything with the sound. Uh, we say especially with the with the horn, the horn is a complicated instrument and needs to be dealt with without notation at first so that you can pay attention to the feedback you're getting oral and kinesthetic. What does it feel like? What does it feel like to get it right or wrong? Uh, and listening, as you said, the, the listening sense of listening and hearing is goes way up when you're not staring at a, a blob of ink on the page. Uh, so I do, I have my horn students anyway, uh, we do improv in there, but I also, we do all of our warm-ups, all of our technical things, uh, no, nothing written down. Because if you understand like jazz players, if you understand the principle of what's going on, you don't need to be spoon fed ink, ink, ink on everything you can. Uh, now the learning is in you and not just on the page uh, we're, we're uh, uh, then you can use the principle to make your own decisions and decisions is what improv is. Improv is just making your own decisions. And I, I start that with sixth graders. 
uh, if it was up to me, the reason you have books is so that for the parents, so the parents can say, oh, yes, you must be progressive because we've turned enough pages here. But uh, if it was up to me, we wouldn't have any anything written down for two years. You know, first, you learn the instrument by listening to it and, and having musical conversations and musical expressions and learning both the technique and musicianships uh, with the teacher and with other players by not staring and then later then you say okay this is what it looks like written down you can do very complicated stuff if you don't go straight to notation straight to staring at the page like rhythms rhythms you, you know if you wanted to teach uh, a very young player you want to go okay here we go da 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 oh man if you saw that written down it would be years before they could do that but you can teach them in one very short session they got it. okay i got it yep and then later, then you say, okay, this is what it looks like written down. The same way that children learn language. You don't say, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to speak, uh, little Tommy, until you can pronounce, you can read chrysanthemum off the page. No, no, we let them they listen. We let them goo goo gaga for a few years and try out stuff, make sounds. And then eventually they go, mama. And boy, they say, and everybody jumps and screams and says, fantastic. And he's, baby says, oh, I am on to something here. And then after a few years, then they, they speak their language. They can express what they need to express. Uh, they speak without an accent. Uh, and then finally we say, okay, this is what it looks like written down. Yeah. But speaking foreign languages or learning music, we do it the wrong way. We start with a symbol instead of the sound. Um, I have three games I wanted to bring up because I, I might use them in jazz band, but I use them a lot with my other bands. Um, and just to kind of highlight that, you know, this is not just for jazz band. Um, Swing It, I use all the time. Um, we'll, when we are, especially when we're going after technical exercises, um, and, um, so swing, it just means to, to swing. Like if you've got an eighth note pattern, um, that you're working on as a technical exercise, I'll, I like to swing it. Um, because I feel like if I do that, and actually I do something we call reverse swing where it's dot, do, dot, do, dot, do, instead of do dot. Um, I find if I do that, I can do that technical exercise way longer with my students than if we just play it the way it's written, you know, if we're kind of changing it. So swing, it's a great, great exercise. But I love that idea. I have my students do that all the time because we start and sometimes end our lessons, normal, just, you know, lessons with, uh, with improv of some sort. And maybe it's focused on, okay, what's the scale or the scale type? Uh, what's your least familiar scale? Okay. Let's do a flat, um, Let's do A flat harmonic minor and but let's play it on like swing music. Um, here we go. Da 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 ba da dee da dee dee da and suddenly it becomes music. We're changing the entire relationship to music. Now it's not some enemy to be feared and conquered. Now it's your friend. Now it's your BFF you're gonna work on um together on the some now your your instrument is is uh, not adversarial anymore. It's not something to conquer either. It's something that you use to realize these these uh, thoughts and dreams and and things you can imagine. And it's uh, it's very freeing and very very fun if you can get past the initial um, terror of the whole idea. And then um, the the other one I wanted to highlight, and um, this is you know just me. I I'm a before, when we did the pre-interview, I let Jeff know that I'm a pretty big fan of this book and of him because it's added so much to my teaching. And another one that I use, I would say daily, 
is rainbow scales where you you do something to add contour to the scale, whether it's a crescendo or a day crescendo um, and get, get ideas from the kids. But again, it takes away from the mundaneness of some of the technical things that we, we have to do to survive in the, you know, in the classical world. Um, and also it, it brings out like musicianship because it's like a scale can be musical. So let's make it musical. That's yeah. It just, uh, it illustrates uh, what I'm trying, what, I'm trying to get away from in there, and that is the 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 ordinariness, the drill, the boring drills and exercises that that all the books have in there, that all uh, that we've all been raised up on, uh, and that's make it into music. And the way to get people started, they say, "Well, how do I get started in this?" And that is to take something you already do, you're very familiar with, like uh, we have somehow decided that octaves of scales are the best way to do it, which I've. Uh, I can go on and on about that, um, thinking that's such a bad idea. But anyway, take an octave scale, start with that, and now you just, how do you make that into music? Well, now you just change something, uh, the rhythms, good way, the articulation. You can add rests, you can add fermatas, and this is without even repeating a note. Just go up the scale and down the scale. Uh, sometimes I'll do that each person gets one time, but you can do that in your own. How many different ways you can do it like that? Um, and you have to follow that. You can't, you know, because your decision is made on the pitch that has to come next. Uh, and you can do it as a duet too. Um, that's a wonderful way to do it as well. But it takes the mundane and it turns it into music. And, and the person, each person gets to turn it into music. Uh, any way they want, and it's it's a it's a great way to to a transition between drill and making music. Yeah. All right. So um, I'd like to um, move on to how how we can integrate improv improvisation into our daily routines. Um, can you can you just give us some ideas there? Well, uh, the first one is one I just said there, which is to take anything you do already. And do it again, but change one thing. This is a mess, especially a message for classical players who are terrified of the idea and have no idea how, how to do that. Uh, take what you already do. You don't have to change the world. Do it incrementally. Change one thing. Uh, rhythm is the best way to start with that. Play exactly what you did before, but add rhythms. And now, uh, and the other, the, the overall general thing is, of course, to how can you make this sound more like music? How can you make it sound more interesting? Uh, and um, I, that's one thing I address in the book is is um, how to do accompaniments, how to do how to make up melodies. Uh, so I'll, you know, I, one of the things I ask, they say, how uh, we played, we've all played a million melodies. How do you do that? What are ways to make melodies? And and usually you get a blank stare from classical musicians. Have no idea how to create a melody because we no one has ever taught that. They say play somebody else's melody. Uh, you know somebody far away and probably dead. Play their melody. You know uh, how do you? So um, I mean that's the whole point of the book is to use all of these different ideas, melody, timbre, styles. Play play uh, add something to it that adds a different. Uh, make it a different sandbox, a different set of restrictions. All right, can you play your scale so they sound like Calypso? Uh, another thing is try a different length of scale rather than the octave. Um, uh, be able to turn around at any point on that scale. Um, to, uh, one great thing, there's two ways to get away from scales and uh, at least the thought of worrying about 
missing the notes, but you're still using the material. And that's depicting things like how do you depict an emotion uh, or a color? They say, <clears throat> and you can do this uh, again as a duet or as a small chamber group uh, and say, you know, how do you, what does it sound like if you're happy or you're sad or you're, you're paranoid or you're drunk or you're, you know, or your foot hurts, put that into music. Uh, how do you feel today? How do you feel right now? Um, make that into music. Uh, and if you want to, you can do it with any particular scale. But um, another one is to try, I don't know if you've ever tried non-traditional scores, graphic scores. Uh, that's a great way to get people playing and uh, get their imaginations going. Have them make squiggles on a, on a uh, not, no, nothing that looks like notation. Take a piece of paper, make squiggles in, say, four rows, and then either you play it or give it to somebody else and have them play it. Uh, or have three people play it at the same time. Um, amazing what comes out, um, that kind of thing. Uh, purposely getting away from that. As you may have noticed in the back of the book, there there's idea generators. Uh, it takes adjective, noun, and then a style. Uh, so what would it sound like to, maybe, to play the philosophical gorilla as a gavotte? Uh, you know, something like that. You can just pair up any, any one of those, or you can make up your own. Uh, I think I've completely forgotten your original question, so I apologize for that. Uh, no, this is no, you haven't because it's all about how we um, integrate improvisation into our routines. I'd like to share one with you that I kind of stumbled on. You know, I, I often find some of the best things I do with my teaching is stuff I just did by accident. Yeah. Um, it actually happened this year um, with our beginners. I, um, I had kids that were starting class out and they were just kind of like new, doing things, you know, didn't make any, there wasn't from a book. They were just like doing things. And so I was like, you know what, let's take a time out. Let's do an instrument demo. I was like, you know, Braden, do you want to do that? And he's like, sure. Yeah. And he go, and he just starts playing notes. And, um, and now, I mean, sometimes when I do, I start every day with beginning band out with instrument demo. And sometimes the kids like worked really hard on hot cross buns. They want to show that off. But then another kid's like, I found out how to do a trill and they don't even know it's called a trill and just. And that has been really fun way to incorporate improvisation into a beginning band. Love it. Uh, love it. To, uh, this is might be the opportunity to mention sound painting because we could you could use that with what they're doing there. <clears throat> um, sound painting is a gestural system of improvisation in groups. Uh, it's composing in real time. It was invented over 40 years ago by the New York <clears throat> uh, composer, conductor, uh, woodwind and percussion player, Walter Thompson. Sound paintings, uh, uh, he started out with his jazz band. He gave a few gestures <clears throat> long time ago and they said, what was that all about? You doing this and that? And they, he said, he told them what he wanted to do. He said, yeah, that's cool. Why don't you develop that? So now there are 1500 signs in the vocabulary, but I'm sure he even he doesn't know them all. Uh, all you need is 30 or 40. That's that's uh, that's what I use. We use it all the time. I can teach a group 20 in one session uh, with two rehearsals. We could give a I've done that where we I go to a group that's never improvised. We have two rehearsals and we give a concert that evening. Um, and I can I can just show you a few of them. It's who's going to play. Uh, what are they going to play? When do they start? When do they stop? And then you can influence things at that. You can have people improvise. You can also uh, use things that are already composed. You can actually rehearse things if you want. Um, and I've, I've been using it uh, for 
last 19 years out of the 20, uh, we do it every time. And it's, uh, I've taught many, many people, many people who are band directors, uh, it, and you don't need them all. You can use a few, uh, let's see, uh, the, this is the whole group. Let's see if you can see that. I don't yep. know. Whole group. Uh, this is the rest of the group. If you say improvise, you pick somebody to improvise something. And then the rest of the group, we're going to, we're going to play a long tone. And this is play. This is a cutoff. This is enter. When you decide to come in, this is you decide when to, that's enter slowly, uh, exit slowly, what he calls it. You could also do something that would work here is he holds an arm up and moves it across when the when the arm is at pointing at you then you play something it could be uh you could say this is called scan and you could say with long tone and when it's over you you play a long tone uh if i don't say what it is you can play anything you want you could say scan with extended techniques that funny little sign is extended <laughs> that means funny noises um, you know, you can always make up your own too, but it's a good thing to start with that. You could do, uh, there's another way instead of doing scan, or you can do both arms doing scan and you could hold one and you could say, continue this. You could say, you know, if you get like two or three people that are underneath that, and then the rest of the group will do something else. Uh, you could also do what he calls point to point. You point up left, point right. And then you, when you point at people, then they they play when you take it away then they stop so you could go very fast and you can you could say point to point with extended techniques funny noises uh and then you can go one at a time you can do you have two arms so you can do that um there's ways to extend that so they don't cut off right away um that you can use that's you can use that all the time and very easy very quickly in any group uh i was asked by a, two editors, David Stringham and Christian uh, Bernard. Uh, they were writing a book, it's called, this is a GIA publication, the same one that does my improv book. It's called Musicianship, colon, Improvising in Band and Orchestra. And they asked many people, I was just one, to write a chapter about their take on improvising in large groups, obviously. Uh, and. So I wrote this chapter and in that, I will just tell you really quickly, I'll summarize it. Uh, at the end of my chapter, I mentioned, uh, there's four ways you can deal with a large group uh, uh, that you should probably do. One is get people, uh, teach them how to do this on their own. Um, and that's all the things like we talked about playing rainbow scales or working on this kind of improvisation. So then the, the ideal unit for this is actually a duet. And the nice thing about this kind of improvisation is you don't have to depend on anybody writing anything for you. And it could be any instrument, any two instruments at any level. They don't have to be the same level. They don't have to be the same instrument. They can do this kind of improvisation together. And then you get small groups, trios, quartets, something like that. And then eventually you work up to all large groups. Uh, ideally, you work on those roughly in that order, uh, uh, because if you start with large groups, you can still do it, but it's a little easier if they have some of this background working on their own, working with a partner, working in a small group like that. Uh, and and uh, even if you're just working on, uh, you know, the warm up scales, arpeggios, basic things like that, learning the basic uh, uh, in, uh, routine of making some of your own decisions. Um, anyway, you can uh, you can learn from his manual. You can learn from the YouTube 
tutorial videos on that. I will send you uh, some links to some of those. Go to soundpainting.com. That's interesting. But just go to YouTube and do a search for sound painting and you can learn. You don't need a million signs. You can do this with, with just a few. You can pick out the ones that you like uh, and use in that like long tones or hits. Uh, there's, there's ostinatos. You can do that. Um, there's the extended techniques um, and just basic things like scan and point to point. Um, and there's, there's, there's lots of them, but you don't need a million of them. You just need a few. There's so much possibility using sound painting that I would just highly recommend that everyone give it a try, see what's in there for you. I, I my, my one funny comment I had is you're going to look a lot like a third base coach when you're doing this, aren't you? Yep. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. You were going to, you're going to look like a, a third base coach who's had way too much, uh, five hour energy drink and uh woo, get, get over it <laughs> but it's fun um the it because the players can learn this and right away they because everyone's native language is gesture facial expression they can get that right away it'll take you a little bit more practice to be able to think of things on the fly what do i do next because it's not predetermined uh you're composing with what you hear uh, but you just start with simple things, you know, you, you can layer long tones and different things and get you can get different groups doing different things. So you can have these kind of, you know, multi layers of kind of things. You can have soloists in there. Um, you can say, you know, like this is relate to that means play a duet that sounds like the other one. Um, yeah. You know, there's just uh, so many possibilities. Uh, when I went out and got the training, I went out for a week and we did it, you know, eight hours a day. Uh, we had every rehearsal was different from the next and none of them were like the concert. Uh, and you can also, if you want, you can have dancers and even mixed, uh, even, um, multimedia. You can have actors. Uh, I've seen concerts in New York where they had actors speaking as part of it. Anyway, it's a very, very flexible, broad scale on that. And you all, it's also visual. You gotta, you have to be able to see what's going on because you listen to it and you go, this is crazy stuff but it also has a has a sense to it um yeah when i i first heard it i couldn't figure out what the hell they were doing um uh, but i so i said i have got to learn this anyway it's it's a it's a very useful arrow in the quiver of any ensemble director well jeff it has been such a pleasure to talk to you i really hope that we get to have more conversations like this in the future uh, I do too. Uh, as you can see, I love to talk about it anytime. All right.